We're live, everybody. Welcome in. It is Friday, 102 Central, 202 Eastern, 1102 Pacific. This is our weekly community forum. I'm joined by our awesome community members, Mimi and Not Legal Advice. Hans will be joining us shortly once he comes back. He was having a couple mic issues, but he'll be joining us today as well. Thank you all so much for joining us on this wonderful Friday. Uh, we'll start with our usual uh, update from Not Legal Advice slash Bob slash Borghand slash Richard slash Raw Raw 999 uh, to give us a little bit of an update on MMTLP. Richard, go ahead. What's going on in the world of MMTLP today? Sure, sure. MMTLP naked shorting bad. So update is 200 plus days. Uh, nothing has happened. Shareholders are screwed. Um, but what is interesting or what happened this this week was there's a case that's going up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, that might be a joke in of itself, but that's going up and it's going to test the um, authority of the SEC and FINRA to regulate. And it may limit their future authority. It may also impact their immunity from lawsuits by shareholders. It could also impact the requirement that um, investors have to go to binding arbitration if they have a dispute with their broker. So it's a, a case that could have potential uh, large impact. It's called Jarkesi, and I will keep you apprised. Um, and that reminds me, by the way, uh, and I have to make a pause, pause, a cross-eyed teacher could not contain his pupils. Mm. I don't know. I don't even know if I, if I can give that one a score. It was that bad. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> but I appreciate the effort. Richard's yes, always bringing you. it. Anyway, yes. that's so. It, again, just be aware: naked shorting impacts everybody. And as I indicated last week, it might be a company that's producing cancer uh, cancer drugs that mm. gets put out of business. So, oh, and along those lines, I did notice that the first general purpose Alzheimer's drug was approved. I think on Friday. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's the first one. You know, it, it's not like it's uh, a cure for, but it's used for early onset, I guess. It might have some beneficial uh, impact, and it's a start of a process. And I think, by the way, my opinion, that'll be the greatest issue that the world has to deal with anyway. You know, millions and millions of people who have Alzheimer's and dementia, the just the, the social issues, but the cost to society if you can kind of find a way of um, mitigating those costs, I think it's going to really be a huge value to society. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Thank you for those updates. I really hope uh, that drug uh, is insanely successful and more and more people can benefit from that. So thank you so much for the update, Richard. Uh, lots to talk about today. We'll go around the horn and see what the topics people want to bring up. Mimi, I'll throw it on to you first because you just finished up a, a road trip uh, around Europe and you got to experience a Tesla for the first time. Give us a little bit of a, a, a an update on how that trip went and uh, what was your experience like after you mute, you, after you unmute your mic. <laughs> it's so technical. Uh, yes. It was awesome. Of course it was. It was a Model S and uh, I drove faster than I've ever driven before and I felt comfortable and everything was super nice. I didn't like the uh, autopilot because it was super sensitive. You have to check the wheel, turn the wheel every 10 seconds it felt like. 
Uh, and the car was giving a lot of warning signals. It was really touchy about a lot of, lot of things. But I thought that the cruise control, the thing that you just, you could just put your speed and then it just adjusted for car, cars coming in back and forth and it was just excellent. But the thing that really knocked me out that I was so surprised and I didn't expect was that I have two knees with arthritis. I have an inflammation in my heel. I can hardly walk right now. And I sat in that car and drove for three and a half hours without even thinking about changing my position or wanting to get out. I could never do that in another car. And after three and a half hour, I walked out and I was not at all stiff like I'm usually am. It was just the best experience of sitting in a car. That's awesome. That's, that's yeah. a big underrated aspect of it. We're actually, yeah. we're going on a road trip here uh, soon. And one of the big things that we're always raving about is just how we have a Model Y. It's how damn freaking comfortable those seats are. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Super underrated. I've heard people talking about it. And I know that some took them out and used this as office chairs, but this was this was awesome. It was really good. But it was also fun hitting that accelerator and just yeah. boom. Yeah. It was did good. It, did it make you more excited to own a Tesla at some point? Well, I don't think if I I can be more excited, but yes, it did. Okay. <laughs> it, it made me more eager to buy one. But mm. That's awesome. That's and we awesome. had free soup. It was from 2017. So it was the last model with free supercharging. So every mm -hmm. time we charged that car, we just felt, oh yeah, that's $150 for free. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Not having to buy gas. Well, I'm very happy you finally got to experience that. And uh, it seems like you came out away pretty positively. The, the thing about the autopilot nags, I think that's a very, uh, that's a Europe thing because I think in the States, the nags are a lot less. I think in this yeah. in Europe they require just by regulation the car needs to ping you a lot more because they have different laws on the road. Yeah. Yeah, because I watch videos and uh, from the states and it's not at all the same. Yeah. So it was a little bit annoying, but we'll get there. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Awesome. So glad to also have you back, uh, Tanner thank as well. You. Look at how great thank Mimi you. looks. She looks so happy. <laughs> I love it. I am it's happy. Fantastic. I've had a great vacation. Fantastic. So good to have you back. Um, Richard, actually, you know what? Let me go ahead and bring this up. Since we're talking about supercharging, this news broke this morning. I just want to make sure we, we uh, talk about it a little bit. Uh, producer wife, the lovely producer wife, also back in action uh, after a little bit of a time off. Uh, go ahead and pull up this tweet from the GOAT Sawyer Merritt, the man who never sleeps. Uh, Mercedes said today its electric vehicles in North America will adopt Tesla's North American charging standard for 20, from 2025 and also get uh, access to more than 12,000 of its superchargers for next year, from next year. So this is in addition to all the existing automakers that we know of, which include GM, Ford, Rivian, Volvo, Polestar, I think I'm missing another one in there too. So now we've added Mercedes to the to the fold. Hyundai and Volks, Hyundai, Hyundai and Volkswagen are the only two other major EV automakers in the states that haven't announced a move yet. Uh, any immediate reaction from the panel? Any thoughts? Yeah, the first one thing. I'll oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that was all I was going to say. They're coming one by one. Oh, what I was going to say is it it made me think because we talked about this at one point in time that it. It's not the European standard at this point, but if the European car makers end up adopting the Tesla standard and that becomes their standard vehicle, 
then Europe's going to adopt the Tesla standard also in all their charging facilities. That That's what it made me think. You're getting two no's. Maybe why, why no? Well, I think it's already too big. And actually, I mean, I've been driving the Tesla now and we charged and only one place we could use the Tesla cable. Everywhere else it was the 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 adapter and I mean it was no problem. It worked just fine. It wasn't that super heavy. It was it was no problem at all. And it works everywhere. And they already have invested so much and there's so many different charging companies. And I think it would be nice if they decided to do it now before they do this European Union thing with building chargers every 60 kilometers. Uh, but I think it's already gone too far. Hans, what do you think? I, I saw you shaking your head as well. I just don't have that much faith in the EU to do something intelligent. <laughs> I think what it's going to be the, the OEMs that are going to do it for their own interests and that's how it's going to go about uh you know they don't the have the leeway to do that they have to do whatever the eu says at this point eu i understand that i understand that but they may have some sway on the eu that was that was an eight out of ten that was so good that was very very good yeah i i i do wonder you know i i, I do i hear i hear richard's sort of broader point though is if everyone is using it, why wouldn't it become the next generation of the charger? So maybe we have CCS now or CCS2, which I think is the one they're using in Europe. So instead of CCS3, it's NACS. Why couldn't that be the, the standard? Do you have any thoughts there, Mimi or Hans? I hope, but... Hmm. Yeah, Hans? Every time I travel internationally, I wonder why you have to have a different stinking plug everywhere you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So we'll see. But I, I think from my standpoint, the Mercedes news is really and I, and I tweeted about this earlier today. It's just really highlights the how much of an advantage Tesla had, especially in the States from a charging perspective. Uh, I expected all the automakers to announce by the end of the summer that they're switching over to NACS, but we might get it by the beginning of the summer. That's how quickly these guys are coming out. Uh, and, and the broader point is, you know, these guys have had the time They've, they've had the chance to do their own network um, for the last 10 years or so. <laughs> All right, well, give us, let, let's see what, give us a spoonful so we can see what you're eating. Uh, come on, we need to do this. Bring him up solo. He's muted. We can't even hear him. All right, give Poor us a big Hans. spoonful. Let's see what you got. I just finished, actually. No way. Here, I'll, I'll reveal and give people a couple minutes to guess, and then I'll I'll okay. put it in there. It was I like guarantee yellow, no one's right? going to get it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So in the comment section below, try to figure out what it is. That was that was clutch there, producer wife. Uh, and I forgot what I'm talking about. Who wants to talk about the next topic? <laughs> Richard, you want to? I just want to say or one maybe? thing about this. I just want to say one thing about the standard. Uh, just considering how many years that the states have had to uh, to adopt the kilometers like the rest of the world is using and how well that has been going. So you see, it's hard to change countries around. However, however, if you come to the table with a bunch of money and say, we're going to spend a bunch of money on this and we're going to provide you a service, that's usually very welcome. 
And you know, if if Tesla comes and they say, we'll build them and you'll change the standard and we'll make money off of the service, but you won't have to front the cost. uh, You know, that's a persuasive way of uh, approaching them. But not really what I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about, because you asked me, I was going to talk about China. I, I had this thought about China. I keep on seeing the videos, you know, with those yards full of empty cars. And then I heard a video, a, a guy who does, who's a pro Neo guy. So he was giving me, I think, an objective view from a Neo perspective. And from a Neo, and he's in China. And from a Neo perspective, they think that BYD and another call, company called Neta are what they basically do is they are selling the cars to um, to somebody for no profit and just parking them. And eventually there may be a demand for them, but currently not. But it shows as a sale. So it reflects a sale. But separate and apart, which concerned me more, was they were saying that Neo. It, they were saying Neo and Xpeng and whatever. What they'll do is they'll sell it to a wholesaler at a discount. That's a sale, and then the wholesaler will sell it at some point in time to a consumer. But that could be a lag, and they might have to inventory that car. But it'll show Neo having made a sale, and it's kind of con- and that. By the way, the guy said it was perfectly acceptable. He said that was acceptable. Not like dumping the cars in the fields, unacceptable, but selling at a at a loss, probably at a loss to a wholesaler, just so you can show that you sold the car, was an acceptable and not an illegal practice in China. So it made me think, since China is the biggest market, we get all these numbers, how much of the demand and actual sales that we are seeing in China are really sales that we would consider to be a sale of a car to a consumer who then takes delivery and how much is the lag between when uh xpeng sells a car and when consumer gets the car is that six months is it 90 days but it made me think about about demand real demand and since we're always talking that china's the biggest market i i I don't know if i'm full of it or if there's anything there or um all, again, all I see is those continuing empty fields. Or, I mean, well, there's a couple of things there that you bring up that are interesting. So how is that dynamic any different than the the dealership network in the States where Ford GM and all these guys sell to dealers at whatever price they agree upon? And then the dealers can sit on the inventory for as long as a years or a year or plus to sell that car. But GM gets to or Ford gets to or whoever else. They get to realize the sale the second they offload it to the dealer. How's that any different? Well, I, I, first thing, I wasn't looking at them. I was looking at Tesla. So I was using the Tesla model as the comparison. So okay. as if you use Tesla models comparison, then it is different. If it's one of the OEMs, probably not because they're probably pay, playing all kind of accounting games because somebody has to pay like a fee for inventorying a vehicle. You know, it's all kinds of fees that are designed to somehow justify the accounting. But I'm saying different to Tesla or anybody else who sells in a non-traditional model, uh, the demand might be different because you're not going to be making those same kind of sales. Your sure. sales are always the consumer. 
or to Hertz or to, or some, something, an end sale that actually is a sale, not like a moving vehicles. Because I see it like it's almost like moving vehicles around without really, no, because we want there to be a change and people to actually use them. And China, I don't know what the justification is. Part of it might be to prop up their industries. Part of it might be to give the impression that their industries are better than they are. But it concerned me, especially when I hear from a Chinese guy speaking in China about a Chinese company. Hmm. Do you guys have any thoughts, Mimi or Hans, on this? Well, I guess it's important. Yes, I can see why they would like to have. It, it can also have to do with getting money from the government. Uh, but I'm, I have a hard time feeling that the government wouldn't know what's going on. But you have a right, you're right, comparing to Tesla's numbers, it's always going to be, uh, they can always fake the numbers. The sales are not really sales. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's very, it's a different regulatory environment. There's not nearly as much scrutiny on financials in China. And this is one of the reasons I've never and probably will never invest in any company in China is because you don't ever really know. Like, it's hard to know what's up in the United States with the amount of regulatory scrutiny that we have here. And so, you know, if you go to China, not only is there the language barrier, but yeah, just the entire economic environment is different. And then the other thing is we just know, yes, they have kind of a hybrid communist and free market capitalism economy, but this was a hallmark of all communist regimes. When you have central planning, there's a lot of misallocation that kind of ends up happening because you don't have those dynamic price signals everywhere across the entire marketplace in real time that helps to banish or helps to balance the allocation of scarce resources. And so you end up with, you know, you made too many of these and not enough of those and everything kind of gets out of whack. And so you know, I don't know to what extent that might have an impact here. Um, and that's that's assuming that everyone is above board and has great intentions and doesn't have weird incentives to make things look better than they are. What I what I saw today was what I found interesting along the, these same lines was supposedly in 2023 would be the first year that 50 percent of the vehicles sold in China are from Chinese OEMs. So kind of along those lines, that number what does that mean? Is that, you know, is that a truthful number? My concern more was, is the market for Tesla different than we expect in China because of those practices? And I don't know. I'm just, just a question that occurred to me and it kind of along the same issue. And we kind of reference it briefly. I think we referenced it briefly. There was an agreement, apparently an agreement signed by Tesla and 16 other, I think it's 16, 16 other Chinese OEMs where they agreed uh, not to do any funny, you know, I'm going to translate. This is the legalese. Don't do any funny stuff with the pricing. That was the agreement. And uh, Tesla signed off, I think, apparently, although it's non-binding for whatever that's worth. So you can't enforce the agreement. Um, but what they did is like probably before that thing was uh, emailed to everybody, Tesla then announced the referral program where they basically give, I think it's like $485 off a vehicle. I think it's something like that. If you can give her like a referral code, 
you get something like $485 off. Maybe you get like free autopilot or FSD or the refer might get. But that was right after they signed that agreement. So they're saying no funny stuff with the prices. And then they give a referral discount, which I thought was interesting, but was also interesting. And I don't remember the other points in that agreement, but it was, and you know, it's non-binding and I'm sure they had to think long and hard about this. But the fourth point was like, this agreement carries out the socialist views of, uh, of whatever. Um, now, you know, from an American standpoint, that's like an unacceptable, uh, you wouldn't agree to a term like that. So I think maybe the fact that it's non-binding is the out. So maybe Tesla agreed in principle, but they wouldn't agree to make that binding if that was a required provision. And that's why the agreement is non-binding. So anybody could opt out. They don't have to comply with it. But I found that particular provision really interesting. And I, listen, that would be an interesting question to ask Elon about, was he uncomfortable with that? Was he aware of that provision? And was he uncomfortable about it? Or how does he see it? You know, something along those lines. Because I, when I read it, and I'm pretty a liberal guy, but I, it caught my attention. And I thought, wow, a lot of people are going to be disturbed by that. Nini, go ahead. I saw your, uh, your finger go up. Yeah. Yeah. It says that Tesla has to promote core socialist values. <laughs> I thought that was kind of hysterical. But don't you think that this, this can be a condition for uh, allowing the Shanghai expansion? That's interesting. I Go ahead, Richard. I see you want to jump in. Yeah. I, I think the key word again is non-binding. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah, so but just the whole the whole thing. It's not in the contract. It's it's no. just like, you know, people talking. And so I think that's the out. That Tesla yeah. and I think that it may have been the, the case. They wanted it and Tesla said, No, we can't agree to that agree to that kind of agreement. They said, Okay, make it non binding and you do what you want. And you know, we'll we'll capitulate. Because Tesla was the only foreign brand. Right. I, I think what's really interesting about this, go ahead and pull it up, producer wife, the article, if you don't mind, from Electric. Thank you. Uh, and Stephen Mark Ryan covered this on his channel this morning. Uh, shout out Stephen Mark Ryan. The man with three first names. You never trust a man with two first names when they, when they have three first names. It's a double negative, so it's a yes. Over a dozen EV automakers, including Tesla and NIO, pledged to avoid further price wars in China. In case you're not familiar with this, if you're following the Tesla story, you probably know this already. Scroll down a little bit, see if you can find, there should be three bullet points that the uh that they agreed upon um go ahead and scroll down let's see if he lists it here yeah so first we will abide by the rules and regular regulations of the industry regulate marketing activities maintain a fair com competition order and not disrupt oh god uh the fair comp competition order of the market with abnormal prices Second, we will pay attention to marketing methods, will not exaggerate or conduct false marketing, not to mislead consumers to attract attention and increase customer acquisitions. Third, we will put quality first, use quality-oriented, high-quality products and services to meet the people's needs for a better life. And fourth, we will actively fulfill our social responsibility and take an active role in helping to stabilize economic growth, increase confidence, and prevent risks and work together to make a contribution to national economic growth. So uh, go ahead, Richard. I see you coming. Yeah, I was going to say, so I see like number one is directed at Tesla. Number two is directed to protect Tesla. 
number three is for Neo, and number four is for the government. Okay. Interesting. That that's helpful context. I mean, I here's here's the thing. Would this message have come up if Tesla wasn't in China? Right? Would this have happened if Tesla wasn't in China? And I think this is in direct uh response to Tesla's ability to have a very competitive product for very low pricing. And so I, I think without Tesla, this agreement never happens. And so this is a way for Tesla to play ball, in my opinion. And I don't know if it's good or bad. Like, I, I, I'm trying to think through this a little bit more. But I think the picture it paints is that whatever market Tesla is in, there is there has been some sort of disruption to how it's always been. In the States, you have GM, Ford, and every single legacy automaker. Uh, if you can, I'm going to have you pull up the chart here uh, soon. Sorry, producer wife that has the... Uh, the breakout of the best-selling models in the United States. You have a situation where in the U.S., Tesla is disrupting EVs by just selling ev more than everybody by 10x, but the government really can't do anything directly because it's a capitalistic society. In China, you have a government that's coming out and trying to uh, make uh, appease the situation a little bit because of the influence that Tesla has had on the auto market there. And for, uh, you know, it's not a secret that China really wants to make sure that their companies and their government looks as good as possible to the outside world. And so they'll do whatever it takes to make sure that's the case. But that's a disruption that's come from Tesla. Uh, I do wonder how much of this is going to pressure Tesla to want to decouple from China even further and not be so reliant on the, the, the Chinese market's success in the future. I wonder if it's an accelerant to that. And I don't know if anyone has any thoughts um, on that, about what I said or whatever else they want to bring up. Go ahead. Go ahead, Hans. I was just going to say that, um, you know, China being a very protectionist economy, like they are only going to allow Tesla so much leeway to run. It's they're in a tight spot because EVs are a huge national strategic priority for the country. And so they need Tesla to succeed, but not at the complete expense of their domestic companies. And because they want to have, you know, they don't want the their electric success to be wholly dependent on a foreign automaker. And I think this does kind of you know, le lend some credence to Yaman's belief that BYD is going to go bankrupt. You know, I don't know that China will allow them to go bankrupt, but it definitely indicates that BYD is feeling financial pressure based on the moves that Tesla has made recently. And this is before we've even seen the next generation platform be released. And we know that, you know, China is going to be a huge market for that vehicle. And right now, BYD is, you know, it's it's hard to say how many BEVs BYD is selling and compare that to Tesla's BEV sales. But, you know, they're selling basically, the, their only competition is local competition and the quality bar on those vehicles that they're able to sell at that sub $30,000 price point is definitely subpar compared to what the $25,000 Tesla will be when Tesla releases it. Like the $25,000 Tesla for the money 
will just blow a BYD or a Xiaoping um, out of the water. And so that's going to make it even more difficult for these companies to make profit. And, um, you know, they're going to need more and more support from the government. So it is just, you know, something to keep a very close eye on and see how that goes. Because, yeah, Tesla said, hey, we're not going to reduce prices, but that's on existing models. That doesn't mean that we're not coming to market with a new model that is going to be at lower prices. And, you know, also you can just see the flexibility that Tesla has. Okay, we'll hold our prices stable and then we'll start pulling other levers to increase demand with the referral program. And so, you know, there's always loopholes and ways around things. Um, And I think that, you know, the entire auto market really is in a very sticky situation. There's no one that is really set up to win for the next 10 years besides Tesla. Everyone is facing incredible challenges. And, you know, the the board can be completely rewritten at any point in time. Thoughts from the panel? I was going to say, so BYD is believes autonomy is not going to be reached. That's like their first position, which is, you know, obviously directly contrary to Tesla's belief. They're trying to, I guess, automate their plants fully because they they employ too many people. They employ like 660,000 people or something. They're trying to reduce their employee level by 90% to something like 60,000, I think. And that's where they're trying to make their money and survive. What happens, what has happened, I think with NEO happened and might happen to BYD, as NEO was having financial problems, there, wherever they were located, the local municipality basically entered into an agreement where they financed them, took a piece of the, you know, took a piece of the action, but they gave them the money to keep them basically in business. They made cars and generated enough revenue so they could pay back the money and regain their independence. So for BYD, I would guess the same thing. Since since they are by far the biggest Chinese producer of vehicles, I think EV vehicles, period. Um, I think some governmental agency would buy that would would bail them out, take a piece of them, and so it would be a government-owned operation. And then again, profit is irrelevant at that point in time because all you are interested is gaining market share. If you're if you're not interested in making money, it gives you a kind of a different approach. But beyond that, what I was going to say is about um, China and that agreement. And again, I have to, despite the fact I have a lot of reservations and things he does and says, I have to give him huge props at be, being able to, I'm talking about Elon in this case, about being able to balance having, he he's living in the United States where there's an, and this is my view, an anti-Chinese bias. He's got a place in China that he's got it there in China. He's got a government that is much more restrictive than he would like. And he's got to do a dance between the two to keep relations calm and be able to do business and not be restricted. And I think it's an amazing dance that he does. And he has Twitter, a free free speech yeah. platform. And he has that which they know. hate, which obviously the Chinese government hates. And somehow, or somebody, it may not be him, it may be others, you know, in the in his administration. But I find that just amazing that he's able to figure out how to do that. I think that might be like his greatest uh, success is how to walk that fine line 
and still be able to kind of conduct business as usual and be basically the leading uh, EV producer in China. You know, basically a foreign company, they're letting a foreign company be the leading producer in their country. You know, think about that, especially for a country country like China. So does that mean that China is not as uh, restrictive as we think it is? Or do we think that's just Elon's ability to really make Tesla work that well? Like, which one do you think it's more of? I think it's the latter plus test plus uh, China needs access other places. And Tesla is the probably the the easiest one for them to deal with, to pr- provide them access to Europe and the United States ultimately. Yeah. Mimi? Yeah, I think the Chinese government is, is uh, kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're really committed to the EV transition and they need Tesla. I mean, they have problems. The same, the, like Han said, all car companies have trouble making cars with a profit. Uh, the Chinese and the European and the American, except for Tesla. So Tesla is important for China. And they're also, I mean, they want to keep up the facade that everything is going well, uh, but they're also very impressed with successful people. And Elon is a smart guy. When he comes to China, he's behaving impeccable. And uh, I think they find him really impressive. They like guys like that. Uh, and he's smart. He's doing what he has to do. He's saying what he has to say in China. He knows what he has to do. And in the meantime, Tesla is also making sure that, okay, maybe we shouldn't be so dependent on China. We have to build bases, but China is still a huge market and the economy will expand. When the cheaper model comes, it will open up the market even wider. It's so many more people who can afford to buy it so but i agree with the with the bob it's a it's a well balanced dance and he's doing an excellent job hans any thoughts no uh, on the topic of china <laughs> he's like nah i'm good on the topic of china go ahead and pull up the volkswagen uh, tweet producer wife uh in china this is really interesting. And I think, you know, we're talking about the domestic success of Chinese EV brands. No, not this one. It's uh, the uh, the Volkswagen one. Um, I believe it's the second to last tweet. Let me just verify that for you. Uh, no, not that one either. It's the, let me see. Hold, please, while we get this up. Dun, this is ping, a nice one to watch dun. while we're waiting. Oh, there we go. Uh, it's this link right here. This one I just posted on the private chat. Um, so Volkswagen is offering some pretty deep discounts in China right now. Um, there we go. So after its CEO criticized rivals for discounting EVs, this is a Volkswagen CEO. Volkswagen China has cut the price of the ID3. Its new base price in China is RMB 125,000, the equivalent of 15,000 euros. This compares to a base price of 39,000 euros for the ID3 in Germany. So it's over a 60% price cut for the ID3 in China. And so the thought process here is, and then scroll down a little bit for the to the picture so we know what, what car this is referencing. 
Uh, and those that are um, Chinese speaking, if you can, uh, we'll link that on in the, to the chat and then do verify for us that that's what that uh, uh, advert says, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. Uh, what this says is that if you are a international brand, it seems like if you're if you're not Tesla, you don't have a, a a way to survive in that market. If we take Volkswagen, which in the ID3, I believe was is one of the best selling uh, non domestic models that are not Tesla in that market, and they're discounting it by sixty percent. And I wonder if Volkswagen is looking to discontinue that that product. Does that uh, does that? I don't know if you guys were aware of that news. Are you guys? What's going through your mind? Do you have any thoughts on that? I was going to say thank. I was really impressed by Hans on Brighter with Herbert. So even though he was unimpressed with China, I was impressed with Hans. Um, nice. You were talking about the prior agreement that Tesla signed with the 16 Chinese OEMs. It makes me now wonder whether, well, did they ask VW to sign sign off on that agreement and they elected not to, or was that price cut? the impetus for the agreement, the price cut by VW in China. We assumed it was Tesla. Maybe it was VW's price cut that was so dramatic. Maybe that's what encouraged the, the agreement because VW is not a partner to that particular agreement. So what you're saying is they knew that Volkswagen had to do something like this to offload the inventory. And they're like, well, okay, we're going to have these legacy automakers doing some wild stuff to offload inventory. Everybody relax. Well, like, I would I would assume there had to be some discussion, right? They must have gone right. to all the OEMs, and some said no, and they would have said why. And you know, the natural discussion is because we're about to do a fifteen thousand dollar price cut. Yeah, interesting point. Uh, any thoughts, Hans or Mimi? No. Okay. Um, go ahead, yeah, Hans. I was just going to say that it's. It's not a good sign for Volkswagen. Not a surprising thing, but it's not a good sign for Volkswagen. And, you know, I think we've seen their sales in China really flagging recently. And so, I mean, this is one way to, I don't know if this buys them political points with the Chinese Communist Party or not, because it does, you know, in the context of this agreement with all the other automakers, on the one hand, you think, yay, you know, we can great EVs or hopefully, you know, decent EVs at a great value into the hands of lots of our domestic Chinese buyers. But, and the other question is, you know, who knows what volume they have available at that price. But that's, I mean, there's no way that Volkswagen is even recouping their costs on those. Um, I mean, I think they were having a hard time making profit on them at the $40,000 price point. And so, they're taking a huge haircut on those. I think you're right that the Chinese government's probably pissed, honestly, because it's undercutting the Chinese OEMs. They don't, they don't want that. And again, it is like directly in opposite to the agreement that we looked at earlier, those four points. Like, I don't remember what it said about pricing, but it was basically no abnormal pricing. And then they're doing this. Basically, they're, take, they're lost. They're taking a huge hit. That's what they're deciding. We're going to lose money just to sell these stupid cars. <laughs> and then on the topic <laughs> on the topic of legacy automakers not being able to sell a product, go ahead and pull up that other chart you had up before producer wife with the green bars uh, and the Tesla Model Y at the top. So this came out, uh, I believe, on Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, the Through the first half of the year, 
how many top selling electric vehicles in the United States for the first half of 2023. Uh, this is from Darren Jung. Thank you so much. Click on uh, that picture for me, if you don't mind, producer wife, so we can take a look together. This is from Motor Intelligence. So the Model Y and the Model 3, top one and two, by far, uh, best-selling cars in the United States. Number three is the Chevy Bolt, which is being discontinued at the end of this year. And then after we, we remove that model, you have the Rivian R1T, what I'll call third place, because the Chevy Bolt is, is not going to be around for much longer. So what I found, and then on number four is the ID4, which is a bigger version of the ID3, which we just talked about. So here's what I found super fascinating about this graph is that if you're a legacy automaker, if you remove the Chevy Bolt, which is being discontinued, the top three EVs that people wanna buy the most are a newcomer SUV, a newcomer sedan, and a newcomer pickup truck. Those are the top three best-selling EVs in the United States. Every other one is from an automaker outside of the Model X and the S. Every other one is an automaker that has been around for a really long time. And the X and the S, the X especially at 13,000 units, they've sold almost as many Model Xs than forced Mustang Mach-E's. And the Model X has a starting price that's almost double of the Mach-E. So the, the picture this paints for me, I and I would love to hear your thoughts, is that in the coming months and years and, and, and decade really, I wonder if there is a natural unwillingness from the public in the United States to buy an electric vehicle that is from a legacy automaker because there might be an understanding that says, well, these guys haven't built EVs before. I'm not really sure if they know how to build them. So that's why I'm going with the new brands. Do you guys have any thoughts around that? Maybe I see your hand going up and then we'll go yeah. on the horn. Do you know how many Mackeys were produced? Uh, about what as many. The, the Mexico yeah, so, plant was shut down. Yeah, so even if people wanted to buy 30,000 more, they couldn't. Well, they, they are on dealer lots. There, there, there's they are. Yeah. on dealer lots. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a fee. There's a fee between the, the manufacturer's price and what the dealer sells it at. It could be as much as, I've heard as much as like 30 grand. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's a big imbalance yeah. between. Uh, but I've also seen there was a there was a tweet that I came across uh, this morning, where there there seemed to be lots filling up with Machis uh, that weren't before for that specific model. Uh, and I'll go around the the horn here. Hans, did you have any thoughts on that uh, graph or anything you want to share? Yeah, I was just nodding because I had seen that same tweet about the the lightnings filling up dealer lots so or not dealer lots they were they're just storage lots overflow um i know we've seen that kind of fud come at tesla from certain oh, yeah. unnamed parties in the past so you know i don't know how much to make of it it's just kind of an interesting thing to see um but I, yeah i think that especially with you know it's not surprising that dealers like we've been saying this forever the Ford dealers are not really in love with the idea of selling these electric models. And based on anecdotal evidence, they are going, you know, they're basically bending over backwards not to sell them by putting these dealer markups on them that are so huge. And so there's just a mismatch in incentives between Ford and the dealership networks. And so that is continuing to be a thorn in Ford's side. Richard? Yeah, I was going to say the dealerships make their money on uh, service, not on the car. And when the prices are squeezed, 
you can imagine the scenario and with the EVs, the service is much smaller element. So it just doesn't make sense for them. But what I was just looking at objectively, those numbers, you know, it, there are the uh, Y was like 10X plus to most of those vehicles, 10X plus. And so that's a lot, of, a long way to catch up, right? Especially when, you know, pro I don't know if in 2023, the second half, the numbers are going to be perceptively different for any of those guys. See, to me, they seem to be kind of struggling basically at the same rates without any kind of great like jump. There's, you know, there's some that are making better progress. But, you know, I notice on that list, for example, Lucid, they make one vehicle. They're not even on that list, right? So it means they're, they're, sell, they're selling less than 8,000 cars. You know, if you sell 8,000 cars, you're not going to stay in business very long. That's kind of the bottom line. So all those companies selling, you know, pretty minimal numbers, they all have problems. And they're all going to have a tough time staying in business. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering. Go ahead, Mimi. Go ahead. No, it just seems like people worrying about Tesla superchargers getting overfilled with other brands don't have to worry that much. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's a, that's a very good point. I, I need to sit down and, and look at the broader auto market a little bit more closely after this earnings report is out for the second quarter because I'm I'm all all the dominoes like everything's lining up for this collapse of the legacy auto that we you know folks that have been following tesla for a long time have been predicting where once the transition reaches a critical point and the legacy automakers haven't caught up and people stop buying gas cars the legacy business just collapses and it the further we go into this into this uh chapter i guess every single point that has been predicting is happening it's happening slowly but it's happening and you you have to think that unless something drastic happens where these legacy automakers are able to come out with a model that they can sell in the hundreds of thousands per year not just 20 or 50,000 but 400,000 500,000 units per year that their existing business will just essentially disappear um and i don't know it, it's just i don't know do you guys feel the same way or is it just me I was going to say the other alternative and that happened recently was that the government will just give them a bunch of money because they did sure. it for like the battery stuff. They gave them what, like $9 billion loan or, or something. We don't know like the terms of the loan, you know, whether they actually have to pay it back and whatever. But there is, you know, ultimately, if they're going to go down the tubes, the government might, for various reasons, elect to decide to save GM and Ford and just keep on advancing money lending them money but what I mean, that's what if, essentially what the ira is is the bailout plan for ford and gm currently now that's not to say that the government won't add more money to that but that's supposed to be what gives them the runway to be able to make the transition now it's going to benefit tesla as much if not more than them but that's i mean i think that's the soft politically acceptable form that the bailout has to take right now well, you can only do that if you have production, though. That's that's my thing, is that you can only take advantage of the IRA if you have the production to actually sell yeah. the cars, but these guys aren't even making the production. Well, I, I, and I see it more as a political issue, that you're going to have you have some u large unions that support uh, candidates that are running for election in high offices, and they have a power. They represent a lot of people, and they have power and influence, and it may be outside of production. 
It may be, you know, political expediency, uh, you know, all kinds of reasons. I'm not saying it's justified either. Sure. Mimi? Now, I was just thinking that it seems like as long as they're stuck with the dealers, it's kind of an impossible case for them. Because even if they produced 30,000 more cars, if they add so much money to the price, I mean, people wouldn't buy them. So we, we don't really know what the demand is because the cars are overpriced. And it's just... It's just, it's it seems... Stupid. <laughs> it feels bad. It feels yes. like there's there's a big shoe that's about to drop and it's going to drop and it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. And there, yeah. there could be there could be things that are put in place to try and mitigate that hurt. But if the production lines aren't set up to produce EVs, I, I just feel like it doesn't matter how much money you throw at it unless GM unless GM and Ford, unless the government's literally like we will cover your cash flow expense for three years. <laughs> or you know we'll, we will we will literally pay you money to restructure your you know it's like just like gm back in 2008 basically they could just throw themselves back into bankruptcy court and kind of yeah. redo another reorganization by the way i would throw shaquille o'neal's shoe because he had a size 24 big shoe <laughs> big shoe shout out nikola jokic by the way the goat better than mj i don't care what anybody says <laughs> <laughs> Uh oh. All right. Uh, let's do one more topic before we do Q and A. Who's got Who's got something to bring up? We did Mimi with it. Richard Hans. Maybe Maybe you have something you want to talk about, and then Mimi maybe again. What do you think? Yeah, I think the um, announcement of all the Optimus jobs is still one of the most interesting pieces of news this week in my mind. And so yeah, we saw there's quite a few jobs open in Palo Alto, so they're significantly building out the team that is doing all of the prototyping and development work on Optimus. Um, my guess is they're going to get some pretty serious Optimus production going there just in headquarters. Um, and we could see hundreds of Optimus bots produced here in the not too, too distant future there. And then they also were hiring the manufacturing lead or apparently this is going to be produced uh, in volume in Sparks, Nevada. And so they're going to, you know, they're hiring the guy who's going to make the plan to put in all the equipment and set up the lines there in Sparks, Nevada. And so, you know, it could be somewhere between nine and 18 months that we see that that production line start getting alpha units uh, off of it there. And then, you know, once Sparks, Nevada is up and running, Optimus bots will just be flying off the line. and. Um, I mean, that's just going to be insane. Like, I, I'm so excited for this product. I think people just don't even begin to understand the significance. Yeah, there's a... So I sent a producer wife a link. Go ahead and pull that up. So I just uh, did a quick search for Optimus on the career page. Is there another term we should use? So I see two different openings right now. Project manager and reliability engineer, both out of Palo Alto. Um, was that the keyword to search the roles by um i looked at this yesterday with herbert and he was the one that had the tweets and the the screen captures and it could be that you know they're not even um leaving these up for, they're probably filling these positions pretty quickly so they may not hang out on the on the careers page very long 
I see. Uh, Richard, maybe any thoughts on Optimus? Did I hear Hans correctly that sparks will fly when Optimus comes off the line? <laughs> Absolutely. That was a solid six out of nine right there. Very good. <laughs> what is your time perspective? Right now, I'm kind of comfortable. I have an appointment at 1.30. <laughs> for, for the Optimus being ready for mass production? Yeah, I mean, I think that they are getting closer to having the the hardware finalized and ready, like the design of the hardware is, is getting close to being ready for mass production. I think that, yeah, inside of two years that we will see a, it's not going, you know, I think this is a product they're going to continue to ramp uh, for a long time. And eventually it wouldn't surprise me if we see, you know, 10 million units a year plus. Uh, well, actually, it'll be more than that um, once we get f far enough into the future. I mean, Elon's talking about potentially having 8 to 16 billion of these things, you know, and, and that'll there will be other makers. Um, but that's that's just a lot of bots. And so you have to make a lot every year in order to, you know, even if you wanted to take 20 years, it's going to take a while to to make that many. So, but the initial like volume production out of Sparks Nevada, I'll bet you will probably be on the order of a million units a year. Um, and yeah, they'll probably be making probably a thousand units a year on whatever little production line they have in Palo Alto before that. What do you think, Mimi? I think that we better start these discussions about uh, universal basic income soon before there are billions of bots taking all the jobs. It's interesting you bring that up because I saw there was a conversation with George Hotz and Lex Friedman about that. Hans, was that what you're going to? Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I love his take on it. Like the, the solution is not give everyone free money. The solution is make all the goods and services practically free. And so, you know, you have access to all the food that you need, housing and, you know, any services and AI assistant, like make all the goods and services as cheap as possible. And, hit, you know, basically effective altruism is how can we give people enough stuff to increase their quality of living? And George says he did you know, he doesn't want to live at the goodwill of the government and people giving him things. And I really agree with that. I think that that, you know, kind of steals dignity from the human soul. And he said that he much prefers the idea of effective accelerationism, where we just get better and better and better at making cheaper goods and services as fast as humanly possible, so that it doesn't matter if you only make a dollar a day, a dollar a day can actually purchase you a better standard of living than the president of the United States today. What do you think about that, Mimi? Well, I think that sounds really great, but that still, you will still need a job. And where will all those jobs come from? If like 50, 60% of all jobs are replaced by robots, where will you make your dollar? That's where the... I, I've been especially if everything is free. You can't sell things. You have to yeah. sell tons of stuff to earn that dollar. I think that's our relationship with work has to change for this world to exist. 
I think that's the conclusion I'm coming to is that if we want to survive the inevitable transition into <clears throat> cars that drive themselves, everything in the physical world is handled by a bot and everything in the digital world is handled by AI that eliminates like that basically eliminates almost everything that we do today right now as human beings for work or for something that makes us a living. So if that future were to exist, or if that future comes to fruition, which looks like it's going to come to fruition based on the path that we're on, short of destroying ourselves, how does our relationship with work change? And the transition to that, I wonder, will the existing humans be able to take that on? <laughs> or is this going to be like something like, well, the next generation will figure it out. And all of us here watching this are just going to uh, die in despair because we haven't figured out how to do it. Like that, that's the kind of thing I'm going through because it's going to happen. Like yeah. the, the bots yeah. are going to come, the AI is going to come, all this stuff is coming. So how, how do we adjust to that? And what is our relationship with, with work and fulfillment? Richard, I, I see you're say, off mute. Yeah, I was going to say, I think there's already been a monumental change. Uh, the change from, to remote working. Like if you would have talked 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been part in the cards, but now it's a part of just the work culture. And I think that's a step towards that, the end goal of manufacturing be completely replaced so humans aren't doing those kind of tasks. I think it's just kind of the initial step towards that. Um, but culturally, it's, it's, it, it's an incredibly difficult uh, change. Um, and again, we get to the point where a lot of the labor jobs, or a lot of them are unionized jobs. So those are, those are people that, you know, they've had a history and they will need something to replace that. Whether that, again, we've talked about this, whether it be training, they learn to do different things, something. And that again presupposes, you know, and if people have too much, especially in this country, we are concerned that, that it takes away their purpose and motivation. So being satiated is great. But then does that kind of kill uh, invention, entrepreneurial spirit, and it ends up being a negative? I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I'm just kind of talking, but uh, all great concerns of mine. Go ahead, Hans. I was just going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Thomas Sowell, and his book, Basic Economics, provides a, a really good foundation for the way that I think about the economy, and that's what his thesis is, is that the economy is just the way that we optimize our allocation of scarce resources. And what we're talking about is basically eliminating scarce resources, that there almost is no scarcity left. And so, I mean, this kind of touches on the conversation that you were having with James Dowman, the incredible picture that you have back there of Mr. Matt Smith measuring something very large. The ugliest man in the world, yes. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, it could very well be that capitalism in, or inadvertently brings on some form of communism. And I think the, the types of things, you know, it, what it allows humans to do is spend their time doing whatever they want to do instead of doing the things that they have to do. And for a large swath of the population, that's 
probably the most exciting thing that you could ever tell them. They hate what they do every single day and they wish that they could do what they want to do instead of what they are doing. Um, for another part of the population, that's incredibly scary. And in fact, we even heard Elon really consider this for a brief moment in a interview recently when somebody asked him, you know, what happens when AI can do all of the things that you can do just as well as you can, if not better? He's like, well, shoot, like, I mean, I I don't even know how to comprehend living a different lifestyle where I'm not spending 100% of my brain power and effort creating these things that move the needle for the future of humanity. Um Honestly, I think that the Elon Musk of 2200 will be able to find interesting work to do that does move the needle, um, that will have so much better tools at that point in time that will be able to do things that just the the magnitude of the things that we can do not only on Earth here, but throughout the universe will continue to scale and we'll continue to find new frontiers. But I think there will also be a, a huge expansion in the amount of entertainment things that actually, like podcasts were not a thing. Even 20 years ago, like at the level that they are now. Um, so that's just one. We've seen this proliferation of decentralized media creation and people can make a living doing this. And I think that's actually going to increase in the future, not decrease, that so many things will be done by robots uh, or artificial intelligence that there will be a need for, like people are gonna have more time on their hands and what are they gonna wanna do with their time? They're gonna wanna be entertained. And you know, some of that will be actually also done by AI, but there will also be a huge demand for human created, like that will be the thing that's scarce is human time and authentic human to human connection of different sorts. And so, yeah, I mean, that'll be, that'll be an interesting transition. Yes. Yeah, I feel like we almost need like a, a awakening as a species once that comes. You know, like what what is what what happens when everything that you've known how to do and you could do to make a living is now f fully handled for you, and all you have to do is just enjoy what is available to you. I think after you know, if I use myself as an example. I'm incredibly fortunate to live the life that I do, but there are still times where it's like, yeah, I can do whatever I want, but sometimes I feel a little lost. I'll be honest, you know? So it's like that, that journey can be uncomfortable. And that discomfort, you know, discomfort is, is always a, you know, I feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable is something I've said. And I, and I, something I heard, um, Walter Isaacson talk about on, on his space when he was talking about Elon Musk and I had a chance to ask him a few questions like that was another thing that discomfort is a is quite the teacher to <laughs> learn how to live a more fulfilling life and so it feels like humanity is going to experience discomfort on a mass scale because of artificial intelligence and robotics and yes there, there will be a lot of great things that happen because of it, but depending on how quickly it takes on and it takes hold, we could have a uh, a very large number of people 
that are experiencing discomfort at the same time. And that could be very disruptive. Um, could cause a lot of pain. Yeah. I was going to say, I and only a lawyer, only a lawyer says this and Mimi, why don't you go ahead? I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Only a lawyer is going to say this, but I was thinking if people are satiated financially, so what kind of crimes do people now commit? Because maybe money and that kind of stuff is really not an issue. So what kind of nonsense do they have to now do that we can't anticipate? Uh, you know, in all these like science fiction movies, we notice that they're you know, like it ends up being like a mafia style bosses end up trying to take power uh, in futuristic societies. I wonder if they're in. You know, I have no idea, and I'm I'm not a science fiction writer, but I wonder what kind of sociological defects arise out of that that we can anticipate. That's yeah. a great point. I'm sure the, dr the drug business will be booming even more. Uh, well, well, what is my biggest concern is that the abundance that Elon talks about will come to us first in the privileged part of the world, but the jobs will disappear in the poor part of the world. And I, that if that transition like time is too long, that's going to hurt a generation of people or two. It's a great point, Hans. One of the things that I'm most excited by in the transition is that, you know, the vast majority of children in the world get the short end of the stick on both education and parenting. And so freeing up a lot of human resource time and investing in the next generation, um, especially you know, if we extend the length of time that people are living, like it makes even more sense to improve the quality of the humans that we're building as we're living longer. Um, I, I think that's going to be huge. And I'm excited to see the resources that we pour into that and how I know that it'll be a, both a, a positive and a negative hopeful and scary thing is we try and incorporate artificial intelligence into the way that we parent and teach children. Um, but I mean, can you imagine every child on earth, regardless of what language they speak, having access to be tutored by the equivalent of a modern day Socrates and Aristotle all, all together in one, um, one teacher, um, an artificial intelligence assistant um, and that, you know, that's even shy of having the ability to do something with Neuralink where we directive or directly influence the memory that's stored inside someone's brain. So I don't know, it's, it's really hard. I mean, this is why they call it the singularity is because I, that term from what I understand was actually coined within the science fiction literature because as you get closer and closer to this point and now it looks like the horizon seems like it's it's drawing closer and closer it was you know 50 years and then 40 years and now it's like it's hard to say what 2035 is going to look like because things are changing so rapidly and there's so many branching possibilities that are all you know dramatically different about how the world could look in in a very short period of time and that's the other thing that's so weird about this is that so many of those different areas are all being influenced by one single person weird weird time 
Well, everybody keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> I don't know what other advice. Your fingers and your toes. Maximize uh, good luck for the future. All right, let's do some Q&A here for the last uh, 15, 20 minutes or so of the of the show. Thank you all so much for joining us. Make sure you post a, uh, a question in the comment section below by writing question right before your question in all caps so that it's easy for us to find it in the section. And producer wife will bring up only the best ones, which will be all of them. So producer wife. When you have a second, please bring up the first question so we can start our Q&A session. And, ah, oh, damn, I'm like way behind. Okay, are we, uh, are we doing questions? Where are we at? <laughs> yeah, I think that's like the stupidest question I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, there we go. That's a, that's a much better question. Berger Han, question, could the optimist help cleaning up the Russian landmines in Ukraine? Um, I mean, I think, you know, fr from the st stat, like if you look, think about a, a bot and we were talking about this on my, on one of my spaces earlier, the, how many dangerous jobs are out there that we could never think about a human doing that the bot can now do and clearing, um, mines seems like a perfect example of that. You know, they already make like mind clearing robots that go through with like shields and stuff, but the bot could do a lot. What do you guys think? Would, they might need gonna, a lot of them. I was going to say is uh, I'd ask a different question. Could the optimist help cleaning up cleaning up the Kremlin? That would be a more interesting <laughs> question. <laughs> what do you think, Hans? All in for a regime change. Woohoo! Next question. And thank you, Perjohan, for becoming a uh, member of the channel. That's why you have a little symbol next to your name. Oh, oh, this Q&A is going great. Roger, question. To be or not to be? That is the question. Yeah, this is. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, agree. that's, that's when. That. I yeah. agree. I feel like that's the. So so when was that? When was that uh, phrase invented? Like, how long ago is that from? That's from like the 1400s. Ish, 2016 or maybe even uh, Tesla pre-bankruptcy, I believe. Okay. 1564. <laughs> okay. Or something. Let like me that. let me to to be or not to be. Isn't that a or Hamlet? Yeah. That's Shakespeare. The Castle of Helsingor. Yeah. Stratford yeah. on the Avon, right? Isn't that where uh, we're talking about? This was in Denmark. Yeah. 1600s. His, his yeah. father was the king of Denmark. So it looks like people were already feeling this sort of feeling back in the day, right? So I feel like AI and robots are just going to accentuate this even further. So it's not a new human emotion. We're just experiencing it in a different context, right? So I don't know. Do you guys have any other thoughts on this? So we get philosophical. Next question. And Robert. <laughs> Question, when will the first security bots happen and what level of force will they use? Ooh. What do you guys think about this? Ooh. A lot of moral. They'll use like, I think, green belt karate <laughs> and it'll be October 2024. Whoa. I think that the security bots will do something that the American police is not capable of. They will use de-escalation tactics. So they don't need violence. Mimi, you've been misled. <laughs> I've been misled. 
No, I've not been in this lab. You don't think the American police, or do you think they're good at using de-escalation tactics? I think I think you're massively overgeneralizing. Yes, but in general, I just had a conversation. I spent to almost two weeks with a Swedish uh, police officer mm -hmm. who teaches uh, leadership in the Swedish uh, police academy. Yeah, we were yeah. Talking I mean, I about think... the violence in France from the beginning. Yeah. I think part part of the difference is though the level of crime in the United States is much higher than in a lot of places and a violent crime, so that the uh, way you would respond would also be different. And, you know, one one officer in one country may not even be comfortable working in another city just because of the, the, you know, the culture and society and amount of crime. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it, there's a lot of complexities there. I think from a bot's perspective, the the level of force is probably, I would expect it to be, I hope none, and it's more like of a surveillance type thing that it will alert a human or a human, uh, yeah, a human to come in and, and do what they need to do. But I think it's one of those like moral questions of how much power should a AI or a bot have to keep people secure. And that, I mean, that is a can of worms and a half. So I've seen enough science fiction movies, haven't you, that eventually they'll invent some kind of force field and they'll basically put you in this little box that'll be invisible and you'll be captured without any kind of negative ramifications. Yeah. And they'll capture you before you commit a crime because they know you're probably going to commit a crime. That was point, Tom right? Cruise in Minority Report. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. That's not And scary. your bot can do nothing to save you. I think that one of the points that Mimi made though is really good that part of the the reason that force ends up being used in the way that it's used in a lot of police encounters is because the officers do have to fear for their own safety and their life. And so if you can have a, you know, a security bot that, okay, like this thing costs $10,000 if it dies, woohoo, like, and they're much easy to repair. Like it's not a, it's not the same type of concerns. Then you can have it respond to situations in a completely different way that as long yeah. as that person doesn't appear to be posing a direct threat to other humans that, and, and there are a number of instances where that's not the case and lethal force ends up being used. Um, it, it has the huge potential to transform that area. And I was thinking, you know, obviously also if it were, you could have a fire bot. So, you know, when there's fires and they, a bot could go in and, for people and perhaps rescue them, but at least identify locations. Yeah. And uh, I'll use this as a plug for Andrea James, the original Wall Street Tesla bull who was an OG oh. and incredible um, analyst, but she actually works for a company now that does a lot of non-lethal, I think it's a, essentially it's a taser company, but a, the next generation type taser company that that's the entire focus of their company is trying to reduce the need for the use of lethal force is that axion or axon yeah something to something like that that sounds right yeah no andrea is awesome maybe axios i think it's axios yeah here I'll, I'll find out on twitter here um she was just on herbert's channel too highly recommend you guys check that out uh andrea james goat 
let's go ahead and uh, pull up the next uh, the question. And uh, Sain, question. Uh, another community member. Thank you so much for supporting the channel. Been a Tesla investor since 2016. Took delivery of a new S this week. The build quality is not great, which seems common. What are your thoughts on how can we get Tesla to improve? Um, I can add a little bit to this. So depending on what brand you are comparing the build quality to. So if you're taking a Model S and you're, say, comparing it to uh, an S-Class uh, type car, I think the S-Class and those brands will probably have better build quality. Um, so I think from a Model S and X perspective, I think Tesla's probably at the point where I feel like they're probably happy with where they're at for those vehicles because they are selling they're selling the units and they'll, I'm sure they'll continue to improve it. But I feel like um, maybe there's sort of a diminishing return as far as how how much more they can go into the build quality. So I'd love to hear your uh, some of the detail that you're experiencing, Sain. Uh, what do you guys think on, on this question? I would say make uh, Tesla aware of any defects you find as soon yep. as possible. Yeah, tweet it out for sure. Uh, they're pretty good at uh, if, if there's any misalignments or anything with uh, trim or anything. Yeah, just make them aware. Even reach out to your uh, local service center and they should take care of it for you. No problem. And I was just going to make a note that because depending, so she, let's see, just took delivery of a new S. Yeah, I mean, quality standards right at quarter end are going to be a little bit different than they are at other points in the year. So that may be one thing to consider, which doesn't mean let them off the hook. I think just like Richard said, if there's anything that they can address, have you know, mobile service come out and take a look at it and see if they can fix it. Awesome. All right, next question. And it's uh, the name of the company is Axos, A-X-O-S, Axos. Uh, all right, next question. And Hugh, question, not a question. <laughs> <laughs> The goal of for humans after nothing is scarce anymore is to become type one, type two, and type three. Um, right. Yeah. But I think what, but what, what's, will humans go on that journey? You know what I'm saying is like, are humans going to be uh, all bought in t into doing that if they, if they don't have to take part of it because the bots and everything else are doing that work, right? So that's the, that's the overarching theme. Do you guys uh, have anything else to add to that? I mean, I know that a lot of people's main fear is the Wally -E future where we're just floating around like big old fat Coke drinking blobs on <laughs> the little hoverboard things that, with our virtual -E. reality mask on and just enjoying like, you know, I don't know if that's heaven or if that's hell. It's it's hard to tell from here. <laughs> I mean, you, you look at the Vision Pro from Apple. I mean, those, those, isn't it starting to be that way now? You know? I think it would be starting the B wave if it wasn't thirty five hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I was going to say that obviously I think there has to be some change between now and then because now we couldn't do that, right? If tomorrow society changed, so everything was provided to us and we had to now figure out how to get a get around, we would not. We, you know, there'd be t millions and billions of people that would be lost. So there has to be some sociological and other change to get us that that point. So, which I probably have no idea what that would be, and I can't predict that. 
but I would guess there's going to be interventions, education. I was thinking like public education, as Hans was talking, I think, you know, public education probably will cease to exist to in a large extent because you won't you won't need like campuses and things like that. Everybody can do it from home theoretically. It's like Hans, the AI uh, tutor. I can have Hans do my tutoring on anything. The only question then is, and I saw this a little bit. I have a two-year-old or had a two-year-old grandson at the time. Was sociological. It's different because now kids won't interact with as many kids. So it changes how they grow. And you have to take that into account and substitute something for that so they can grow to be you know, normal human beings. Um, but I did see Wouldn't that in him. Wouldn't it be awful? What was that? Wouldn't it be awful if, if everybody just got everything through a, a helmet or a computer or a screen? If kids didn't meet and uh, played during recess or whatever, wouldn't that be awful? That's a terrible world to me. It's no, I definitely mean, it's different. I mean, the all of human history, you know, exists within the context of just not just you know. Right now, we live at the most abundant point in human history. Like almost yes. all of human history is just characterized by extreme privation, and that all of the, you know. We look back at how societies were hundreds, thousands of years ago, and they just seem barbaric and brutal. But we are so disconnected from the forces of scarcity. Like, you know, most people died young for almost all of human history. You know, so many people died in childhood. And then if you made it out of childhood, there's force, you know, tribal forces and conflict and war. And it's all about, you know, I want enough stuff to be secure, to make it through, not just like make it through five years. Like I need enough stuff to make it through the winter. And that cycle and that reality is how almost all of human existence has been. And so, you know, we're not really made for an environment that that is not the case. And so it's going to be a really, really weird, you know, just like if you look at evolutionary forces, when there's a massive change in like one variable in the environment, all of the ecology that lives there completely changes. And that's what we're talking about at a humanity level. Yeah. But I, but I agree with that, that lost interaction. And this is, this is coming from someone who's pretty shy, to be honest. But that lost interaction really is concerning. And I'm hoping it gets replaced in some fashion with something else. Yeah. I'm surprised to hear you're shy. Yeah, I am. Never would have thought. <laughs> Good to know. We'll see how shy you are in uh, in California. I'm going to try to break you out of your shell. It, yeah, it, dep <laughs> it depends on the context. Okay, okay. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Uh, lawyers being shy is something I would have never, ever thought of in the history of my life. Uh, let's do a couple uh, other questions here, and uh, we'll call it a day. Next question. And Tawanda, question. Cybertruck 2023 production estimates. I think we do this almost every week. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, one thing I was going to say I forgot to say, I think this is going to be announced on the 19th, right? 19th is uh, the delivery day. Date. I think the the where they have the release day, the party, the release day party, I think it will be announced at the earnings. Oh, man. Okay, what's your wager? 
four dollars. It okay. has to be a coffee bet, right? <laughs> no, that's a Yaman thing. Forget the coffee bet. That's his. I don't want to do his thing. Four dollars. Uh, see, but I, I agree with you. I think it's it is going to happen. I think Cybertruck is going to be half of the call of uh, of the, the second quarter earnings. I think it's right. We're reaching that point where Cybertruck is going to dominate the discussion. I think delivery, the delivery day announced, whatever they're going to do, the event will be either the very end of August or very beginning of September. All right. Let's put in our official date launch delivery date. Official. Like, I need a date and month, okay? I'm going to go first. Let me look at the calendar. And then in the comments section below, also drop your best estimate for when Cybertruck's going to launch. So... Let's and see. how many? That's what he's asking. Or and how many in the year? Oh, yeah. So, okay. So there another winter testing in New Zealand. Uh, we've had a bunch of mules, but the final production basically, and like just rolling around everywhere. So, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say September 28th uh, will be the official delivery date for Cybertruck, and they are going to ship. 1,784 in 2023. Who wants to take this one? I'll go. What did I just October. say? <laughs> <laughs> I'll say October 4th and 450. Okay. Yeah, I think they'll have a employee only delivery event on September 30th and it'll be 50 vehicles. What well, well, for the full year? Uh for the full year probably 2000. Okay. Uh so the first vehicle delivery will be 9/5/2023 the day after Labor Day. Kind of consistent with uh so you could use as work for work. And 3,246 will be delivered in the first year. Okay. Elon Elon already told me that. Okay, good. Okay. Well, I'm glad. Cheater. I'm glad he sent you a DM Cheater. on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, write these down because whoever's right will get nothing. Last question. And we'll get a coffee from Yaman. We'll make sure Yaman can give you guys coffee. We have to do the ice cream thing. We still haven't done the ice cream thing. All right. Last question. And Randy, who will be the next to NACS after Mercedes. So this NACS is the North American Charging Standard, Tesla's plug, and Mercedes just announced that today. Um, it it has to be, I mean, I'm gonna say Volkswagen. It should be, it should be Volkswagen. I'm gonna say Honda. Honda, okay, Hans? Yeah, I was gonna say the Electrify America, aren't they a subsidiary of Volkswagen? Volkswagen yep. They already adopted NAC, so I mean, you would think that Volkswagen would be behind them by not too far. No. But isn't that like a political issue too with Volkswagen because they kind of went anti-Tesla when Herbert got canned, and they so now they have to acknowledge their goof up in a way by adopting the Tesla standard. I mean, listen, if Mary is leading. GM to the promised land through Tesla's plug. I feel like Volkswagen is going to be able to do that too. You know? Yep. Yep. So let them saying. follow Mary. Yeah. Let Mary lead us into the next generation of charging. Okay. Mary is leading the little lambs. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, everybody. Let's call it there. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Mimi, Richard, Hans, thank you as always. Uh, make sure to check out Hans at his YouTube channel, Hans C. Nelson. Make sure you check out Richard at his channel, Not Legal Advice. Uh, Mimi, when are you starting a YouTube channel? Mm, maybe in September. You never know. Okay. On the, the Cybertruck delivery day. That would be perfect. Yes, yes. I'll You'll talk to Elon. I'll find out. Or, or Bob, who knows Elon. So I don't get it the same day. I'm going to give you a YouTube growth hack on the day of the Cybertruck delivery. If you create your first video on the Cybertruck and you give your your thoughts and we share your video, that video is going to get a ton of views. So I'm just letting you know, if you do want to launch okay. your channel the right way. Okay, yeah, thank you. It's a good way of doing it. Oh You're my welcome. God, I feel the pressure now. Good. You have you said it. It's you're literally recorded. So <laughs> you have to do it now. Uh you can find Hans on Twitter at Hans C. Nelson. You can find Richard on Twitter at Raw Raw999 and uh at Mimi at Pigast on Twitter, and you can find me as well at Farzinus. Thank you all so much. Thank you, everybody, as always. Thank you, Mods, for keeping the conversation super civil in the comment section. And to everybody who always watches and, and throws in their commentary. We love you so much, uh, and uh, thank you to the panelists. And last but not least, as always, to the greatest producer in the world, producer wife. Love you, baby. You're the best. Good to have you back. Uh, and yeah, so we'll see you on the next one, and uh, have a great weekend. We love you. Bye-bye.